Well, hello and welcome to season two of A Few Minutes With. I'm so grateful to everyone who has been watching these on YouTube and has been listening to the podcast versions on Apple and Spotify and the many places that it's posted. Uh, it's been a lot of fun for me and I hope that uh, you all have not only enjoyed the interviews, but have enjoyed learning a bit about the broader church and what people are involved in. Over the past several years, a phrase that many of you, especially ordained folks, have heard much about is bivocational ministry. And for those that don't know, bivocational is you spend part of your time in ordained ministry to church and other times doing everything from newspaper reporting to hospital chaplaincy to first responder, the, the list is endless. And my guest today has a very unusual and very particular bivocational ministry. Uh, Jack Gilpin, who by now I'm sure many of you recognize just by looking at him, uh, has had an extensive career in acting. I looked on IMDb and I think he's up around 100 credits on stage and screen and television. Um, one thing that I promised Jack I won't ask you about is spoilers for Billions because I know people are watching that and are probably interested, so, so no spoilers. But along with his extensive acting career in 2012, he was ordained uh, a priest in the Episcopal Church and until recently served as rector of St. John's Church in New Milford, Connecticut. So I'm looking forward to this opportunity today to talk about bivocational ministry in one of its, its wonderful forms. So Jack, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you and for being here. My pleasure, my pleasure. Well, let me begin uh, because this series started in the time of pandemic and sadly we're still here. Uh, I know again, you just retired as rector of, of St. John's, but how has this time been for you? And while you were there, how has it been for the congregation at your former parish? Well, of course, it's it's hard for everybody. I, I think uh, actually early on, uh, I started to see it in a particular way, actually through the lens of, of my experience as an actor. When I was uh, in, early in my career, in the 70s and 80s, I did a lot of regional theater, which meant that you went to a, a, an unfamiliar city uh, for eight weeks, 10 weeks, and uh, were usually given an apartment that was kind of run down and had furniture that some member of the board had cast off and uh, uh, and you felt uh, this is I don't like it here but after a few weeks you started to feel at home and by the time you were done you regretted leaving it had become home so you, yeah. you find a way to feel your way into uh, an unfamiliar environment and that, that's kind of the way uh, one aspect of the way that I feel about COVID and the, and the shutdown and the fact that we can't worship uh, together. The other is this. Uh, I see it as an opportunity uh, because anytime you get jerked out of your normal routine, I think that's a good thing, particularly in church. Because as you know, there are people who go to church who basically want to hear their favorite hits yeah. and, and treat church kind of like a jukebox. And uh, it's partly our function to gently usually and not so gently other times uh, encourage them to leave that happy place and uh, examine things in themselves that that are are new and, and not so familiar, so I think that's a, a benefit of it. Also, I don't know if uh, I joined a little online a Zoom prayer group. Uh, we did morning 
still do morning prayer every morning. And at the beginning, uh, from the beginning of March, the daily readings were all about pestilence, and they were the lament psalms, and the, uh, uh, yeah. it really was uh, the Bible speaking very loudly uh, to us where we were right then. And I think uh, um, that's not an accident. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the lectionary, uh, daily lectionary. I don't know if you've noticed, but the last few Sundays on track one, the readings have all been from Exodus and Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. But it's been about the the fear and the uncertainty and even the complaints about yes. the leadership yes. that Moses is displaying. And I know that's something that clergy are, are feeling throughout it. How was it for you to transition out of, you know, in the midst of all this to step away from being rector at a point where things, I hate to use the word unsettled, but I guess at this point, unsettled is pretty much still how people are feeling. What are you talking about right now, having walked away? Yeah, from, having, having stepped away from being rector, a full-time rector. Well, it's, you know, the first week was, uh, I, I, this has been the only time, I was ordained when I was 61 years old, so I got a late start. This has been the only parish I've ever had. And uh, it was a parish that was in, not the best of health uh, when I got there. It had been on some hard times. So I've worked really hard for the last eight years. Uh, there was no church school. There was now a church school that has 26 kids in it. And, and, wow. and there's a lot of life going on. Uh, it was very hard to step away. And, for, and I felt kind of like I jumped out of a plane uh, and uh, had no center of gravity, that my focus had been so uh, energized and directed uh, to that family and living with them. I mean, you know what it is. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just getting used to that now. Now, I have plenty of other things to do in the diocese and, and in the community. So uh, uh, it's not a matter of that I'm sitting around twiddling my thumbs. I'm not doing <laughs> that. Um, uh, but it's going to be an adjustment. Uh, one of my favorite scripture stories uh, is the one uh, in which Jesus asked Peter, uh, who do you say that I asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. uh, and in the, uh, in the Markan version, he doesn't confirm or deny what Peter says. You know, mm -hmm. you are the, uh, which I've always liked because it's not about whether he said the right answer. It's a, because that question asks every day. Yeah. Who do you say that I am today? So I'm responding to that question and getting, I mean, you get, you approach an answer every day anew. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think that's said to St. Francis every day would pray, uh, who am I Lord and who are you? And, uh, and it always is new. So uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, very, very excited and very energized by, by the newness of it all. Yeah. You mentioned you'd only been ordained uh, eight years, I guess eight years, 2012, uh, right. when you were ordained. What was the, the process that brought that? You know, it, it's a particular interest to me because I'm a second vocation priest. I mm -hmm. was ordained in 2017, so mm -hmm. I'm still, I think, in the overall scheme of things, very new. But uh, I always I always loved second vocation. Uh, what, what was the journey that brought you to this point? Well, it was a long one. I won't go through the blow by blow, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in Cunningham Chapel Parish in Christchurch, Millwood. Uh, actually, my first experience acting was as the Easter Bunny in a Easter pageant at the Bishop's Chapel. Is the Bishop's Chapel still there? It is actually. That's where our, our food pantry operates out of. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
but once I was confirmed when I was 12, I basically was, I left the church for, I mean, I was there for Christmas and Easter, but it made, organized worship was, to an adolescent and a post-adolescent, it's, it's hard to, to take. The whole idea of ritual is just, uh, is alien. Uh, so it wasn't until, but I always had my leather-bound King James Version of the Bible that my godmother, Margaret Stimson, gave to me on my confirmation. It was the old the King James Version with the words of Jesus in red. Remember those yep. old? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and whenever, all through high school and college, whenever I started to feel anxious about something or worried or if, if, uh, if I just needed to settle somehow, I would open it up to some red words. It didn't matter what they were about. Uh, the voice that I heard would settle me down. It's, mm -hmm. it, there's that authority that is attested to, as you know, in the Gospels. People say, where did this guy get this authority? Well, how, how can he say these things? It's, right. it's, it's, they never heard it before. And then later, in my early 30s, I won't, again, I go through the whole thing, but I started to come back to church. I just happened to walk into uh, Grace Church in Manhattan, down in the village, a big old neographic church that had five clergy on staff. Mm -hmm. uh, with a wide variety of preaching styles and uh, backgrounds and theologies. And, and it, I, I was going once a month and then twice a month. And then within six, eight months, I was going every week because I realized I could be myself and call myself a Christian. Right. In fact, that's the point. Uh, and then I was in the early 80s and then they had a very active adult education program. And in 89, I audited a couple of classes at Union Theological Seminary, and I decided to get an MDiv just for the heck of it, uh, faith-seeking understanding. Uh, and uh, I, I, it took me seven years to do it. It was a three-year program. Uh, and they immediately, I, I, upon my graduation, they made a rule that you, you have to do it in no more than four years. So, uh, <laughs> you broke uh, the mold. We moved, yeah, yes. We moved from uh, Manhattan up here to, Connecticut, and I was became a licensed lay preacher in the Episcopal Church. I was active in my church uh, here, a very small country church. And after one of my sermons, uh, two of my kids had gone away to college at that point. Mom was about to. Uh, one of my uh, the parishioners wrote me a note after one of my sermons and said, "When are you going to do something about this? When are you going to listen to the call that you have?" So I went into the discernment process. Then that was around two thousand and seven, eight, and. It takes about three years. Uh, and uh, in the last year, I was a seminarian at uh, St. John's in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they have a Haitian congregation. And I still have some high school French, so I would minister to them. And, uh, and our bishop, Ian Douglas, came down to celebrate their 25th anniversary. And he and I were in the sacristy of uh, vesting. And he was asking me how I worked out my acting career with my uh, my life in in uh, in the preparation for ordained ministry, and I said I've just been putting one foot in front of the other, letting the Holy Holy Spirit lead me. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me. And he said, "That's how I got here." Funny how that happens. <laughs> so it, it wasn't like I had a big uh, graph on the wall that that you know planned stuff out. I really have just been doing it a day at a time uh, <laughs> since I, I I did when I, I got ordained a deacon in the June of 2012, and my first two jobs were acting jobs. I did a play at the, um, the Williamstown Theater Festival here in, uh, up in Massachusetts and, and at the Berkshire Theater Festival, and then I got the call to come to uh, St. John's. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And I have not done a play since then because a play takes too much time to rehearse. But I've done TV and movies and things like that because that's a cash intensive business. That's a, yeah. you, the kind of parts I get you, you, I can do in a week or two. Right, right. You mentioned something interesting about the person coming up to you and asking you about your call after hearing you preach. I had a similar experience long before I even sensed a call, but it's so interesting. How did you feel or when you reflected on it, did anything come to you about the fact that somebody else saw it in you really before you saw it in yourself? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, go it goes back before that when I was, a uh, uh, at Union, uh, the, the curriculum there is split up into the biblical field, the historical field, the theological field, and the practical field. And in the practical field, you have to do a year of field work. And I was a, a seminarian at a children's hospital in Queens. And my special responsibility was the terminal floor. Right. And the, the priest who really ran the hospital uh, was very emphatic uh, with me about the fact that he could see that I had a call. I had no plans to enter the, no thought at all of entering the ordained ministry at that point. Uh, I mean, I, I would have thought, I just don't have that kind of faith. I, I, I'm, and then of course, once you get into it, you find that you do have that kind of faith. Not all like a package that you unwrap, but it's, it's, it's just what life is. Yeah. So move ahead a little bit. You're now rector <laughs> at uh, St. John's. I'm sure, like folks that probably turned this on at the beginning and saw you and went, oh, I know him. What, what was the initial response of people in the congregation when you came in and, you know, here's somebody that they probably have recognized from television or film that's now coming in in a completely new way of being perceived as their priest? Was it difficult for them to wrap their heads around it or was, did they almost make the acting secondary the instant you came through the door you were now their priest i i more much more the latter than than the former as i say they they were a they were a, a congregation in some difficulty so they were they were looking for help wherever it came from i know there were a couple of people um who a lot of people who are not in in show business have a, a particular idea of what actors are like uh and it's really uh, mostly unjustified. Actors are working people just like you and right. me, and uh, with wives and families. And uh, uh, so, but I would use um, examples from my life, uh, a lot of which had to do with things that came up in the in the theater and in, in film and TV, mm -hmm. uh, in sermons. To uh, uh, I just try to be real. And yeah. it was a good thing, actually, that I was a rookie priest uh, because meat and potatoes was all I knew how to preach. Yeah. And I also remembered a quote from Pat Riley. You know Pat Riley, the basketball coach? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the bane Pat of my Riley. existence. <laughs> Celtics fan. <laughs> Me too, as, as a Knicks fan. Uh, um, but uh, Pat Riley, in a, in a staff meeting, once said, what's the main thing? Because the main thing has to be the main thing. Mm-hmm. And I think too often in church, it's one of the reasons that I got turned off to church, was that the main thing didn't get preached. You, you can go a long way in church, or at least you used to be able to, and not hear the name Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, I talk about Jesus a lot. Uh, and, and I talk about basic stuff. I also think that uh, 
uh, we don't we don't refresh ourselves in basics enough, and we continually need to do that. I mean, everybody does. Mm-hmm. Uh, to draw to the, the big issues in, uh, in in Christian faith, but the, but basically, it was not a, not a problem for uh, you know for them to, um, in my acting career. They actually kind of liked it when they see Father Jack up on the on the screen. And, and uh, um, actually, I did go away for a month uh, two lengths ago uh, to film. There was an HBO series called Succession that I had mm-hmm. what originally was a big part in which they actually got cut into a, a fairly small part, but they, that was, I used my vacation time. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and, and they were entirely supportive of that. And you, you actually already answered half a, a follow-up I had uh, talking about using examples from your, your acting mm-hmm. career in your sermons. Flipping it the other way, did you ever find that your vocation as a priest impacted your acting in certain ways? Was there ever a, a crossover in the other direction or conversations with fellow actors or anything like that? Well, well, um, I would say that it, uh, my, it, it's my life as a Christian more than my life as a priest mm. that um, uh, affect my acting because a lot of the things that I had learned, once I started to come back to church, a lot of the things that I had learned about about life and about theater and about what being an actor, how, how to act, what you do when you're acting, uh, I found more uh, more sharply and better defined uh, in the terms of Christian faith. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the theater, you do eight performances a week. You have to make everyone new. That's the technique that you learn over years. But in my introductory course to systematic theology at Union, I read a book by Karl Barth. I'm sure you know Karl Barth. Oh, yeah. um, his little book, uh, Evangelical Theology. I don't know if you know that mm-hmm. book, uh, in which he talks about the stages to faith. He, calls the, he describes them as concentric rings in which you progressively come closer to faith. And the first ring that you inhabit uh, is that of, of wonder, a state of wonder. Mm-hmm. And there's a sentence in there. He sa- he talks about theologians. Not these aren't people with advanced degrees. These are people who talk about God. That's as we know, theologos, mm-hmm. God talk. He says even a poor theologian will be serviceable as long as he remains open to. Oh, there's a subsection on astonishment in the section on wonder. Mm-hmm. He says even a poor theologian will be serviceable as long as he remains open to the possibility that astonishment will seize him like an armed man mm. and that's what my acting teacher uh, he didn't put it in those words but that was my acting teacher's mantra you never know what's going to happen even though you know the lines you know the blocking you get out there on stage and you're in a danger zone it's just like life every moment of life is new and that's what i learned in theater and that's what i saw uh, better defined and, and affirmed and uplifted uh in uh, in christian theology so, mm-hmm. and actually doing the, uh, performing the liturgy is, is a performance piece. I mean, in acting terms, I feel like my chops have never been better uh, yeah. uh, because you have to make that, that liturgy live. Uh, uh, and it's the same words. It's just a script. There are manual acts. There's blocking. Uh, you're working with different texts, uh, but it has to come alive. And, uh, that's that to me. That's something that I'm going to miss the most about parish ministry is not being able to perform the liturgy. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll interject this now. If you're ever back down this way in Clark County, 
pulpit and the altar are yours whenever you want oh. them and whenever we're able to get back in. Yeah, you yeah, know, in listening to you talk, uh, one of the things that struck me was uh, the distinction between, as you talked about, performing on stage and performing on film. When we're doing live liturgy, uh, one of my uh, seminary liturgics professors says, if you make a mistake, as long as the only one that knows that made a mistake is you, you're fine, just keep going. But I've discovered in the period when we were pre-recording services, I would get so much in my head that if I would misspeak a line in the sermon, I would stop everything and go back and do take two. And it almost the recording of the liturgy for me almost robbed it of some of the beauty because I think in my mind I was getting more focused on the line by line getting it right uh-huh. versus the broader the broader aspects of being able to share the liturgy. And it, I think it was almost detrimental to me recording it because I would stop and start over constantly. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I think in theater, you, it's live and you have to live with your mistakes, whatever, whatever they are. So you make them, uh, I, the audience usually doesn't know that it's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, so often things can happen I'll give you an example. This is from film, not my experience, but uh, you know the movie On the Waterfront? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a scene in it where Marlon Brando plays the longshoreman and Eva Marie Saint plays the good young Catholic girl and they sort of, young people falling in love. It was early in Brando's career. And there's a scene where they're walking through a park. Mm-hmm. It's early in their relationship. And she is, uh, has a, is holding a pair of white starched gloves, Catholic, Catholic schoolgirl gloves. Uh, and at one point she drops one. That was not in the script. It was not rehearsed. It was an accident. Yeah. And you can see, if you see it again, you can see the actors think, uh-oh, uh, I just finished my career. Is the director going to cut? And, and, but Brando does not miss a beat. He leans down and picks it up, and they walk on. Mm-hmm. And she's looking at him and thinking, okay, well, I'll play along. And he doesn't give it back. He looks at it, and he feels it, and he, and he starts to put it on. And he puts it on and you can see his, him feel this. And it's a wonderful metaphor for his getting to know this kind of person that he, a kid from the streets, has never really known before. This, and, and, and this feeling that he's having for her. Yeah. Uh, so accidents can be wonderful, wonderful ways to bring the audience or the congregation in. I, I, I made mistakes all the time. Uh, and... Uh, um, Sometimes they knew it was a mistake and sometimes they didn't. But we all make this service together. Yeah. I tell you, the biggest mistake I ever made, and I love sharing this. I have a a deacon that's working with me now. Uh, The first time I served as an acolyte uh, was as a crucifer at a funeral when I was 16. Uh And we were processing in, and I walked around the coffin. And as I started to step up into the chancel, my foot got hung in my alp. And I started to go forward. Well, I caught myself and I was humiliated. And after the funeral, a lady walked up to me and said, said, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I knew, I've seen people genuflect at the altar, but I've never seen anybody do it with the processional cross. It was magnificent. Well, she didn't know I'd about fallen and broken my neck. She saw it as some overly grand way of, of, of genuflecting before the altar. Uh, show business is replete with 
examples just like that, where uh, it's considered to be a stroke of genius and uh, should be accepted as such. <laughs> well, let me ask you, um, being from a bivocational career, uh, and still, even though you've stepped down as rector, I know you're still very involved in the diocese. Um, for somebody that's going in that direction or considering bivocational ministry, but might have concerns that they can't fully be in the moment if they're doing one versus the other or not be able to give 100% to both sides of uh, bivocational ministry. What, what would you say to that? Or what advice would you give? Well, I would say two things. One is that, uh, let's say, maybe more than two things. Uh, uh, one is trust the spirit. Uh, as I have said, my other vocation is, is uh, fungible. I can move it into uh, uh, certain areas of my life. So I, I'm not, in other words, I, I, I get it done quickly and more comp in a more uh, compartmentalized way than, than others might. But uh, I, I would say also, once you get involved in parish ministry, uh, uh, your work feeds your ministry. And that, that, uh, uh, and the fact that you are working and have other obligations that, uh, that are just the same as the obligations of your parishioners, uh, that is, they'll understand that. It's different when, uh, and, and they will live with it and appreciate it. And it, again, it will feed your ministry with the people that you are ministering to. Uh, 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 that's the way it was in the beginning. That was the first century. You know, there, there, there was no, in the first couple of centuries, there were no ordained clergy. It was all just folks making church together. And uh, that's, uh, the model that I think it's in a not unhealthy at all way, we're returning in large part to. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the uh, I think the changes that are going on in the church now are are, are very healthy, and I think uh, uh, you know about Phyllis Tickle. Well, it's not Phyllis Tickle. She, Phyllis Tickle, who quoted uh, I think it was Mark Dyer, a, a, an Anglican bishop, who said the, the church every five hundred years has a big rummage sale. Uh huh. Yep. And that's that's what's going on now, uh, and and uh, no less with uh, with clergy. I think it's a. Uh, uh, are you familiar with Dwight Shiley or or uh, um, uh, Al Roxburgh, the people who write about missional church these days? No, not very. That's okay. Well, that that's it's very it's very been a hot topic in the in the Connecticut for a number of years. Anyway, I, I think bivocational ministry fits entirely in with that model, which I won't uh, go into now. But uh, I think it's an entirely healthy uh, development and uh, a, a and spirit filled uh, and generated. Uh, and uh, I would encourage you to do what I did: take one step at a time. Uh, and let the Holy Spirit lead you. And you will find, uh, you, you will find things you've never expected to. You know, I wonder too, if people recognize that ordained or not, everybody is in bivocational ministry. 
right. the, the, right. <clears throat> the first order of ministry in the prayer book is laity. Right. So I wonder if this is also possibly a time where clergy could help congregations discern not only the changing face of the church and the changing scope of the church's mission, but looking within at their own bivocational ministry that they take from Sunday into the world. Absolutely. Uh, we actually are uh, doing a little bit of that uh, up in our diocese. We've, I don't know, do you have lay preachers? Down we do. We do. Yeah. Um, we, I have been part of a lay preaching training uh, session uh, for the last three years. And uh, you see people grow in the spirit in that ministry and, and, and uh, uh, take on, uh, recognize that it's not just sitting in the pews and being a lay reader. Or, 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 that, that, uh, uh, I have always said, uh, life is not about church, church is about life. And, uh, uh, anyway, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, now the million dollar question, what is somebody who was already incredibly busy going to be doing next with all of the spare time that I know you have? I know you serve on the board of loaves and fishes in New Milford and your career is still going, but what, what's next for Jack Gilpin? Well, uh, I am starting a new television show. Uh, a, uh, I don't know if you were a Downton Abbey watcher. Huge, uh, huge. <laughs> uh, the guy who wrote that, Julian Fellows, has written a new uh, series for HBO called The Gilded Age, uh, which uh, we were supposed to actually start shooting at in March, and now because of everything, uh, we're, it's going to be the end of this month. And I, it's about that time in American history called The Gilded Age, when the, you know, the end of the 19th century, when all the mansions in Newport were going up. It's Edith Wharton's world. Mm -hmm. uh, and I play the butler in uh, the Nouveau Riche household in New York. Uh, uh, so uh, um, it's going to be that kind of thing. Uh, that will be my that job. Uh, as far as the church goes, I don't know. I'm, I'm really eager myself to see what, what pans out. I'm going to be teaching the uh, preaching seminar again. I'm going to be doing supply work, I'm sure. I'm, we're renovating the cathedral in Hartford. I'm on the uh, commission that oversees how that's going, which is a very exciting development. They're, they're ripping out the pews, uh, and uh, which is <laughs> causing heart palpitations all across the diocese. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a, a, a a real flagship operation for how we move into uh, the next century of worship. Is, is, so, it a, is it a revisioning of the space in the cathedral and, and uses absolutely. for it? Yeah. Yes, and the revision of the cathedral uh, as a community resource. And, mm. uh, the cathedral the way it used to be uh, back, uh, you know, a thousand years ago when it was used uh, for, it wasn't just church services. There were, there were many things that went on. Right. So it's, uh, uh, so, uh, I've got plenty to do. <laughs> it sounds like it. Well, knowing all that, I'm grateful that uh, you had a few minutes to to sit down today and talk with me. And, you know, the offer still stands. I know you've got still strong family ties in your hometown, home community here. So if you're down this way and you find you're going to be bored one Sunday, let me know. I'd love to have you at Christ Church. I certainly will. It would be an honor. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Jack, so much. Take care. God bless you. Same to you.